Hello there, and welcome to Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope you're doing well and feeling good. If not, I hope that this week gets better for you. Tonight we return to The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. We have been continuing this one on the Patreon. If you would like to hear the whole thing and support this podcast if it's been helping you, then join our secret book club at patreon.com slash down to sleep. For a few dollars a month, you get an extra bonus episode every single week. And these normal episodes are twice as long. So come and join us and support the podcast. Thank you. Let's begin. The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Chapter 5 Mother, mother, I am so happy, whispered the girl, burying her face in the lap of the faded, tired-looking woman who, with back turned to the shrill, intrusive light, was sitting in the one armchair that their dingy sitting-room contained. I am so happy, she repeated, and you must be happy too. Mrs. Vane winced and put her thin, bismuth-whitened hands on her daughter's head. Happy, she echoed. I am only happy, Sybil, when I see you act. You must not think of anything but your acting. Mr. Isaacs has been very good to us, and we owe him money. The girl looked up and pouted. Money, mother, she cried. What does money matter? Love is more than money. Mr. Isaacs has advanced us fifty pounds to pay off our debts, and to get a proper outfit for James. You must not forget that, Sybil. Fifty pounds is a very large sum. Mr. Isaacs has been most considerate. He is not a gentleman, mother, and I hate the way he talks to me, said the girl, rising to her feet and going over to the window. I don't know how we could manage without him, answered the elder woman. Sybil Vane tossed her head and laughed. We don't want him any more, mother. Prince Charming rules life for us now. Then she paused. A rose shook in her blood and shadowed her cheeks. A quick breath parted the petals of her lips. They trembled. Some southern wind of passion swept over her and stirred the dainty folds of her dress. I love him, she said simply. Foolish child, foolish child, was the parrot phrase flung in answer. The waving of crooked, false-jeweled fingers gave grotesqueness to the words. The girl laughed again. The joy of a caged bird was in her voice. Her eyes caught the melody and echoed it in radiance, then closed for a moment as though to hide their secret. When they opened, the mist of a dream had passed across them. Thin-lipped wisdom spoke at her from the worn chair, hinted at prudence, quoted from that book of cowardice whose author apes the name of common sense. She did not listen. She was free in her prison of passion. Her prince, Prince Charming, was with her. She had called on a memory to remake him. She had sent her soul to search for him, and it had brought him back. His kiss burned again upon her mouth. Her eyelids were warm with his breath. Then wisdom altered its method and spoke of a smile and discovery. This young man might be rich, if so marriage should be thought of. Against the shell of her ear broke the waves of worldly cunning. 
The arrows of craft shot by her, she saw the thin lips moving and smiled. Suddenly she felt the need to speak. The wordy silence troubled her. Mother, mother, she cried, why does he love me so much? I, I know why I love him. I love him because he is like what love himself should be, but what does he see in me? I'm not worthy of him, and yet, why, I cannot tell, though I feel so much beneath him. I don't feel humble. I feel proud, terribly proud. Mother, d did you love my father as I love Prince Charming? The elder woman grew pale beneath the coarse powder that daubed her cheeks. Her dry lips twitched with a spasm of pain. Sybil rushed to her, flung her arms around her neck, and kissed her. Forgive me, mother, I, I know it pains you to talk about our father, but it only pains you because you loved him so much. Don't look so sad. I am as happy today as you were twenty years ago. Let me be happy forever. My child, you are far too young to think of falling in love. Besides, what do you know of this young man? You don't even know his name. The whole thing is most inconvenient, and really, when James is going away to Australia and I have so much to think of, I must say that you should have shown more consideration. However, as I said before, if he is rich... Oh, mother, mother, let me be happy. Mrs. Vane glanced at her, and with one of those false theatrical gestures that so often become a mode of second nature to a stage player, clasped her in her arms. At this moment the door opened, and a young lad with rough brown hair came into the room. He was thick-set of figure, and his hands and feet were large and somewhat clumsy in movement. He was not so finely bred as his sister— one would have hardly guessed the close relationship that existed between them. Mrs. Vane fixed her eyes on him and intensified her smile. She mentally elevated her son to the dignity of an audience. She felt sure that the tableau was interesting. "'You might keep some of your kisses for me, Sybil, I think,' said the lad with a good-natured grumble. "'Ah, but you don't like being kissed, Jim,' she cried. "'You're a dreadful old bear.' She ran across the room and hugged him. James Vane looked into his sister's face with tenderness. I want you to come out for a walk, Sybil. I don't suppose I shall ever see this horrid London again, and I'm sure I don't want to. My son, don't say such dreadful things, murmured Mrs. Vane, taking up a tawdry theatrical dress with a sigh and beginning to patch it. She felt a little disappointed that he had not joined the group. It would have increased the theatrical picturesqueness of the situation. Why not, mother? I mean it. You pain me, my son. I trust you will return from Australia in a position of affluence. I believe there is no society of any kind in the colonies, nothing that I would call a society, so when you've made your fortune you must come back and assert yourself in London. Society, muttered the lad. I don't want to know anything about that. I should like to make some money to take you and Sybil off the stage. I hate it. Oh, Jim, said Sybil, laughing. How unkind of you. But are you really going for a walk with me? That'll be nice. I was afraid you were going to say goodbye to some of your friends, to Tom Hardy who gave you that hideous pipe, or Ned Langton who makes fun of you for smoking it. It is very sweet of you to let me have your last afternoon. Where shall we go? Let us go to the park. Oh, I'm too shabby, he answered, frowning. Only swell people go to the park. Nonsense, Jim, she whispered, stroking the sleeves of his coat. 
He hesitated for a moment. Very well, he said. But don't be too long dressing. She danced out of the door. One could hear her singing as she ran upstairs. Her little feet pattered overhead. He walked up and down the room two or three times. Then he turned to the still figure in the chair. Mother, are my things ready? he asked. Quite ready, James, she answered, keeping her eyes on her work. For some months past she had felt ill at ease when she was alone with this rough, stern son of hers. Her shallow, secret nature was troubled when their eyes met. She used to wonder if he suspected anything. The silence, for he made no other observation, became intolerable to her. She began to complain. Women defend themselves by attacking, just as they attack by sudden and strange surrenders. I hope you'll be contented, James, with your seafaring life, she said. You must remember that it's your own choice. You might have entered a solicitor's office. Solicitors are a very respectable class, and in the country often dine with the best families. I hate offices, and I hate clerks, he replied. But you are quite right. I have chosen my own life. All I say is watch over Sybil. Don't let her come to any harm, mother. You must watch over her. James, you really talk very strangely. Of course I watch over Sybil. I hear a gentleman comes every night to the theatre and goes behind to talk to her. Is that right? What about that? You are speaking of things you don't understand, James. In the profession, we are accustomed to receive a great deal of most gratifying attention. I myself used to receive many bouquets at one time. That was when acting was really understood. As for Sybil, I do not know at present whether her attachment is serious or not. But there is no doubt that the young man in question is a perfect gentleman. He is always most polite to me. Besides, he has the appearance of being rich, and the flowers that he sends are lovely. "'You don't know his name, though?' said the lad harshly. "'No,' answered the mother, with a placid expression on her face. "'He has not yet revealed his real name. "'I think it's quite romantic of him. "'He's probably a member of the aristocracy.' "'James Vane bit his lip. "'Watch over Sybil, mother. "'Watch over her. "'My son, you distress me very much. "'Sybil is always under my special care.' Of course, if this gentleman is wealthy, there is no reason why she should not contract an alliance with him. I trust he is one of the aristocracy. He has all the appearance of it. I must say, it might be a most brilliant marriage for Sybil. They would make a charming couple. His good looks are really quite remarkable. Everybody notices them. The lad muttered something to himself and drummed on the window pane with his coarse fingers. He had just turned around to say something when the door opened and Sybil ran in. "'How serious you both are!' she cried. "'What is the matter?' "'Nothing,' he answered. "'I suppose one must be serious sometimes. "'Goodbye, mother. "'I'll have my dinner at five o'clock. "'Everything is packed except my shirts, so you need not trouble.' "'Goodbye, my son,' she answered with a bow of strained stateliness. She was extremely annoyed at the tone that he had adopted with her, and there was something in his look that made her feel afraid. "'Kiss me, mother,' said the girl, 
Her flower-like lips touched the withered cheek and warmed its frost. My child, cried Mrs. Vane, looking up at the ceiling, in search of an imaginary gallery. Come, Sybil, said her brother impatiently. He hated his mother's affectations. They went out into the flickering, wind-blown sunlight and strolled down a dreary Euston road. The passerby glanced in wonder at the sullen, heavy youth, who in coarse, ill-fitting clothes was in the company of such a graceful, refined-looking girl. He was like a common gardener, walking with a rose. Jim frowned from time to time when he caught the inquisitive glance of some stranger. He had that dislike of being stared at, which comes on geniuses late in life and never leaves the commonplace. Sybil, however, was quite unconscious of the effect that she was producing. Her love was trembling in laughter on her lips. She was thinking of Prince Charming and that she might think of him all the more. She did not talk of him, but prattled on about the ship in which Jim was going to sail, about the gold he was certain to find, about the wonderful heiress whose life he was to save from a wicked red-shirted bushranger. For he was not to remain a sailor, or a supercargo, or whatever he was going to be. Oh no, a sailor's existence was dreadful. Fancy being cooped up in a horrid ship, with the hoarse humpbacked waves trying to get in and black wind blowing the masts down, tearing the sails into long screaming ribbons. He was to leave the vessel at Melbourne, bid a polite goodbye to the captain, and go off at once to the goldfields. Before a week was over, he was to come across a large nugget of pure gold, the largest nugget that had ever been discovered and bring it down to the coast in a wagon guarded by six mounted policemen. The bushrangers were to attack them three times and be defeated with immense slaughter. Or, no, he was not to go to the goldfields at all. They were horrid places where men got intoxicated and shot each other in barrooms and used bad language. He was to be a nice sheep farmer, and one evening as he's riding home, he was to see the beautiful heiress being carried off by a robber on a black horse, and give chase and rescue her. Of course, she would fall in love with him and he with her, and they would get married and come home, and live in an immense house in London. Yes, there were delightful things in store for him, but he must be very good and not lose his temper or spend his money foolishly. She was only a year older than he was, but she knew so much more of life. He must be sure also to write to her by every mail and to say his prayers each night? God was very good, and would watch over him. She would pray for him too, and in a few years he would come back rich and happy. The lad listened sulkily to her and made no answer. He was heartsick at leaving home. Yet it was not this alone that made him gloomy and morose. Inexperienced though he was, he had a still a strong sense of the danger of Sybil's position. This young dandy who was making love to her could mean her no good. He was a gentleman and he hated him for that, hated him through some curious race instinct for which he could not account, and which for that reason was all the more dominant within him. He was conscious also of the shallowness and vanity of his mother's nature. 
and in that saw infinite peril for Sybil and Sybil's happiness. Children begin by loving their parents. As they grow older, they judge them. Sometimes they forgive them. His mother, he had something on his mind to ask of her, something that he had brooded on for many months of silence. A chance phrase he had heard at the theatre. A whispered sneer that had reached his ears one night as he waited at the stage door. It had set loose a train of horrible thoughts. He remembered it as if it had been the lash of a hunting crop across his face. His brows knit together into a wedge-like furrow, and with a twitch of pain, he bit his underlip. And that is where we shall close the book on the picture of Dorian Gray and on tonight's episode. If you would like to hear this reading continued, it will be twice as long on Patreon for supporters, and there will be a bonus episode in a few days. We're actually going to read this entire book on there, so if you enjoyed this one, then come over to our book club at patreon.com slash down to sleep and join us there. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you are not even hearing my voice right now and you are fast asleep, but if you're not, feel free to jump this back to the beginning and listen again, or check out one of our other many episodes. I hope that you have a lovely start to the week, and I will see you in the next episode. Until next time, good night.